This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, just got back from Korea after my first vacation for the year. I wrote an article talking about some takeaways from the trip. And you guys can get access by signing up for the monthly newsletter or via the Huidu Pipeline Club. Those monthly newsletters, I'll be going over market updates and trends. And I'll also be showing what I'm going to be doing in my own investing and what, what I've been up to lately. So I admit that the podcast has sort of been piling up that I haven't been released. And this is podcast with Brent Sutherland. Is a little bit of an older one. I realized I needed to add some context to the introductions and highlight important items for you guys to look out for. Also to call out certain opinions I don't really believe in that some of the guests may have. This podcast again with Brent Sutherland who is a CFP certified financial planner. But he's not one of those other quacks who get you know paid on commission and try and stuff you in whatever is most convenient for them or the biggest paycheck for themselves. Uh, you know, he actually believes in real estate investing. He's an investor himself. And I just think that there's a lot of uh, bad information put out there by certified financial planners. Uh, you guys can read about my article at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash FP for financial planner, of course. Remember to go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash club to join an investment club and enjoy. You guys set up a call with me because some of these deals, you guys need a pre-existing relationship with myself and... I want to get to know you guys better and figure out what you guys are uh, thinking out there. Gives me a better idea who to line up for guests. And today I get a good one. Brent Sutherland is a certified financial planner. For over the last 11 years, he's had experience in the financial services. But uh, I'll tell you, he's a, he's a little different one. Uh, you know, we kind of roast these financial planners about selling us uh, the stocks and bonds and getting commissions. But Brent's a little bit different one. He's drinking the real estate Kool-Aid. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for that intro, Lane. I appreciate it. Maybe tell us a little bit more about your own personal investing because, uh, you know, this is good, right? Like you're blending both strategies in one. That's right. And of course, I've been in the industry for almost 12 years now. And predominantly throughout that time, I've been involved heavily with just the traditional uh, style of investing, so portfolio investing, which uh, I know a lot of people in real estate circles like to call it paper assets versus hard assets. But so I have a lot of experience there. Um, but I got caught on to real estate investing about five years ago. And I've been really trying to educate myself in that arena since then, too. But I like to blend both worlds just because I think I'm a big advocate for balance. And I think there's some pros and cons to both. But I think you can't discount one area of investing versus the other without really knowing uh, the ins and outs of, of, of what you're doing in either arena. So I try to bring a balanced approach uh, to what I do in my own personal world. So I try to do the same for my clients as well. And yes, so you, I, I know uh, in the real estate investing circles too, you hear the term financial advisor and immediately people want to turn off uh, whatever they're listening to or shut their ears. So yeah, hear me out and uh, we'll go through a number of different talks. I think everyone will find interesting. Yeah, so you uh, started off, you know, like any other financial planner, I bet, you know, trying to you get commissions off the uh, the sale of certain stocks and bonds or whatever. Take us through, like, what got you first started? Well, you know, what's been a benefit to me, too, is working over these past few years. You get to meet a lot of interesting people and a lot of successful people at that. And there was a, a group of individuals that I worked with, uh, and this was back at one of my old firms, too, that were more high net worth. 
Um, and there were some that just seemed like they had it together. I mean, a lot of people, you go into these in meetings and you're talking about their investment portfolio, and it's a high-stress situation because their livelihood depends on what their money's doing within that particular portfolio. But there's some other people that came into these meetings and they just seemed very calm. Like they had it together. They weren't really worried about what we were talking about. Um, of course, that piques your interest. And so you dig further into their finances. And, and almost every single time, these individuals that carried themselves in that manner, they had something else going on. And most times it was real estate. They had large, a large amount of holdings on the outside that was generating cash flow for them. So quite frankly, they didn't really care what was happening with their portfolio because they were secure financially through this cash flow that was coming in from real estate. And that's where I really turned the corner. That piqued my interest. And I started learning more about how to properly invest in real estate, what it could do for you. So that was my turning point. It was just having exposure, kind of being privileged to have exposure to these people who were doing things differently and developing this financial security in their own world. Uh, so you're kind of like that doctor who's seen that the uh, the guy running the marathon or keep getting the heart attacks all the time or some kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can find a trend and kind of jump aboard that trend. Hopefully the good trend, not something uh, uh, like the heart attack world. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of nice because you do get exposure to these people. A lot of different people who have uh, businesses, but I think the real estate was something I knew that I could probably do myself. And that was what really kind of hooked me there. So, so I want to hear this from you. Like, why do financial advisors, why don't they advocate for real estate investing? Well, that's a, this is one that I, I see, I mean, pretty much on a daily basis. And, and really what I think it boils down to is that there's two primary reasons. One, and I think this is probably the more predominant reason that people, the traditional advisors don't, uh, or don't advocate for real estate investing is just the compensation structure within the system that they're working in doesn't really allow for it. And, uh, I'm going to explain there's really two types of compensation structures out there. Uh, one being uh, commission-based, which is where an advisor will sell products, really. They're glorified salesmen is really what they are. But what they do is they're not real estate brokers. They're not licensed to sell real estate. Instead, they're licensed to sell uh, financial products such as mutual funds, stocks, bonds, ETFs, and sometimes uh, insurance and annuities. But they only generate income for themselves when they sell something. And since they're not in the game of selling real estate, they're going to obviously try to sell you on all the products that they can sell so they can generate a commission for themselves. So again, there's that conflict of interest. They have no reason or initiative to go out and sell you real estate just because it's not going to be in their financial best interest. Now, the other type of uh, compensation structure that's more predominant in the industry as opposed to the commission-based uh, structure is the fee-based structure. And the more common fee-based structure out there is that you will have a pool of assets. You'll hand this to an advisor, and the advisor will organize a portfolio for you, and they'll charge a percentage of what they're managing uh, on that basis. And, and normally in the industry, this is about 1%. So, for example, if you had a $100,000 portfolio that they're managing for you, they're going to get about $1,000 a year um, according to that 1% basis. Now, much like the commission structure, what happens here is you don't buy physical real estate and put it into an investment portfolio. And these people aren't licensed to sell physical real estate. So there's no incentive for them to go out and tell you to take a portion of your investable assets and put it into real estate. Cause that lowers the amount of money that they could have to invest, which again, generates less income in turn for them. So there's that conflict of interest there too. in both of those types of compensation structures. 
Now, what I've noticed, I think this is another big point too, and the second reason for advisors not advocating for real estate investing is just there's a lack of education, quite frankly, that's out there. And the fact that I've been through, I'm, I'm more a child of the traditional financial education system myself, where I went to undergrad and got an economics degree. I went back to school to study to get my requirements, uh, educational requirements to get my certified financial planning designation. And not one time through any of that coursework did I come across a class or any kind of topic that just related to how to actually analyze an investment property, how to analyze a particular market where you might be looking to invest in real estate. So advisors that are trained to go out and give advice to individuals on their own personal financial economy just aren't equipped with the right educational tools to speak intelligently about how to invest in real estate. So if you don't know how to talk about it, chances are you're not going to bring up that subject matter with a client. So I think the compensation structure is a big hurdle and the lack of education is the other big hurdle there that's keeping uh, advisors from talking to clients about real estate. Yeah, and this is kind of one of my rules is, you know, I don't take advice from somebody who's not financially free themselves or well on their way. It's like how, you know, there's a lot of guys doing real estate investing, but you know, they don't have the great strategy. You know, like a lot of times these meetings, the blind leading the blind, right? Like it's someone who uh, is looking for, uh, they're not making residual income, but they're making income off commissions. And it's the blind leading the blind in a lot of these meetings is what I see. It is. That's a good way to put it. It is the blind leading the blind. And, and I kind of agree with you too. I want to follow along the path of someone that is financially secure, that has all their stuff together. They've reached that point where they're doing what they want to do in their own world. And they've, they've kind of laid the chips out that allowed them to do it that way. And when you have someone who's still working the nine to five and kind of grinding it out on the other side of the table, trying to tell you how to manage your own money, I think something's wrong here with this equation. So <laughs> you need to kind of change course and, and follow a different path. Yeah, and I, I've had a meeting with these guys before, and, and my head almost blew up because I just saw these like tricks and games they like to play. One of them, they like to use the word security and diversification, and I'm like, you know, it's real estate investing. If you do it right, I mean, what? How much more secure can you get with a hard asset that you control it at the end of the day? But um, I, you know, they just know some of the other things that you're seeing, like run of the mill financial advisor do these days. <laughs> well, yeah, I hate to say that they're lies, but they're definitely tricks. There's, there's different things advisors do to try to get you on board, to try to get your money in house so they can manage and, and make more income for themselves. Um, I, and I've been on the other side of the table, believe me. And, and, and I like exposing this stuff just because I have been in there kind of in grind into that whole way of life. But one thing that, that happens almost with every single firm that's out there is if you go into the house to kind of seek guidance, what they're going to do initially is they're going to put together this, like we, we create our own portfolio for you and they'll show you what their portfolio looks like to a, at a high level. And they'll say, here's what your current assets are probably doing for you, but here's what we can make your assets do for you. And they'll always show a higher rate of return. Then they'll lay out these uh, schedules that show, okay, here's what today looks like here's what the future looks like 20, 30, 40 years from now. Look what a difference we can make for you and your world. And I'll show you these schedules that look nice, that presented well. Um, but again, this is all based on kind of a trickery that here's what we can almost guarantee that your portfolio can do with us, but no one else. And that's just quite frankly a lie because you can't guarantee that you're going to outperform what another firm can do or let alone what the benchmarks could do if you were just going to go out and just invest in index funds in the stock market. 
<clears throat> so you'll see that, you'll see the nice the charts, maps, the kind of framework laid out for you to show what your assets can do over the time. But you'll always hear confusing terms thrown out there in these types of conversations. Well, they're going to throw in sharp ratio. They're going to say, here's what the beta and the alpha of these portfolios might mean. And really, they throw out these terms just to cause confusion and try to make the process sound overly complicated because that kind of helps justify their position that you need us here to navigate these complicated waters. And really, investing doesn't have to be that complicated, but those terms are thrown out there just to create that whole atmosphere of complication. And it does, it creates some fear in a lot of people. And they're saying, oh yeah, you know what? This is just too confusing for me. I, I need to hire you on the spot. It sounds like you have it together. So uh, you go ahead and take this money. And you'll see, uh, and like I said, with the, the charts that they kind of lay out, and, and some of these are very personalized, like I referenced, but there's always going to be a chart either in this presentation they're going to give you or on the wall that shows the historical returns. And it'll be, okay, here's what the S&P 500, which is, it's basically a good overview of the top 500 companies in the U.S., what they've done from a market cap standpoint over time. Here's where it went all the way up until year 2016 or 17 today. And that'll look like, if you look historically, it'll look like a nice, slow, steady, upward trajectory from point A to point B. And it, it presents well, but what that doesn't take into consideration is all the emotional stress that comes into play during those two, three, four-year incremental periods where you have crashes and you have a lot of peaks and valleys. Over the course of 100 years, yeah, that looks pretty steady. But when you're living through those different pain cycles, it's a whole different ballgame. And oftentimes, too, these charts that they're going to show you don't have fees included there. And they don't have uh, oftentimes the emotional stress that's involved where people want to sell out and oftentimes do sell out during the low points, which would definitely put a dent onto those types of returns that are shown in those charts. So all these different tactics come into play whenever you go meet with an advisor. And you probably went through this yourself when you sat and met with someone and you said your head was spinning, but um, I think it pretty much, it's just an industry standard. So you can pretty much guarantee this. Just prepare yourself if you're interviewing advisors when you go out there that these are going to be some of the tactics that you're going to see. They just do all these kinds of things. Like, like you say, with the graphs, I mean, when I pick up uh, you know, a syndication package or a commercial real estate package, I mean, I mean, there's about 20, 30 pages and like two pages, actually, I look at the, the P&L and the, if they have it, the room mix on the property, but all these other things like that cool picture with all the Burger King is here, Best Buy is here, or like all the market analysis and stuff like that. That's all garbage. It's just like, it's just like all these financial planner materials, like most of it's just garbage, but it, like people like that stuff. Well, again, I think, I think it's this whole, you know, the more charts we can throw in there too, the, it, it looks impressive, but it also can be very confusing for people. And the more confusion you can create in those types of meetings, the more you can justify and, and the person, the client, prospective client will, will can reason the fact that they need that planner. Oh yeah, I need to hire you today. So confusion is an advisor's best friend. Yeah. I also see these guys doing like the, the NLP, the neuro linguistic programming thing. I didn't know what it was until they started doing it to me. And I was like, what's, what is this, you know, where they start leading you down a path? Like, don't you want security? Don't you want simplicity? <laughs> like, 
well, then you should get these stocks and mutual funds that we're doing. I'm like, whoa, 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 where did we go with this? You know, like, (laughs) and these fear-based tactics too. I can relate. Yeah, I can definitely relate. If you're listening to this podcast and implementing the strategies discussed, you're likely to become financially free in three to seven years, whether or not you choose to use my coaching services or not. For most of you I talk to in our free intro coaching calls, I see a theme of mission and investing for greater good. I found an investment that pays 20% of their revenue to improving the lives of their community by improving living conditions and paying for children's education. To learn more about this investment, check out Simple Passive Cashflow backslash coffee. And by the way, it's not all altruistic. This specialty coffee makes for an amazing performer. They're selling us these products, these mutual funds, basically, and um, you know they're getting their fees off the top of it. Of course, we can do it ourselves with index funds. How, what's the fee structure? What touches like a little bit of like the hidden fees and and you know like I I know about there's hidden fees in there, but I don't know exactly, right? No, and and that's something that's not laid out uh, for clients when they go hire an advisor. And what you're going to see when you get your monthly statement, you're going to see your holdings, which will be probably a mix of mutual funds, maybe some individual stocks, um, but predominantly it's going to be mutual funds. And you'll see your advisor fee, which would be that 1% fee we talked about. That's the only fee that you're really going to see on your statement. So oftentimes people think that's the only fee I'm paying at all by having this portfolio with this advisor. But you're correct. There's a lot of hidden fees within the mutual funds themselves. Um, some funds actually have a fee that could be as high as one to one and a half percent of the total value of that uh, fund. So you think about it, if you're paying your advisor 1% and you're also paying another percent, if not more in some of these funds, that's 2% right off the get go. That's just going out the window. That's a tough pill to swallow. And that's just getting at the top of the surface. You start digging in here too. Um, a lot of these funds. And if you look at the different share classes, like an A share class mutual fund, they have front end fees, which is basically a sales charge. So when you buy the fund, oftentimes as much as four or 5% will be taken off the top right off the get go for a sales fee. And then you're going to still have that management fee ongoing. So maybe another 1% coming out of the fund each year just for the fund manager to get paid. So the advisor will take part of that front end sales charge and the mutual fund company might take a portion of that uh, front end sales charge, but then the, the fund company is going to take that ongoing uh, fund fee in perpetuity as long as you hold the fund. Sometimes these fund fees, that embedded fee within the fund that's ongoing, sometimes that can be shared with the advisor. Um, And they even have some marketing fees where the the fund companies to provide incentive for advisors to sell their fund, it's called a 12B1 fee. And they label it as a marketing fee. And, and really it just says, okay, if you sell our fund, we're going to give you a portion of that ongoing management uh, fee in, within the fund just to encourage you to sell our product. Now, these things are becoming more and more uncommon, but it's just things you have to be aware about. If you're looking at any particular mutual fund, just buying it even on your own, look and see what the, the fund fee is itself. And, and look at those. Most index funds, which are just ones that really just track the general um, economy are going to be lower. But if you find one where they have a particular strategy they're implementing, that's a little different than just buying the market, those fund fees are going to be higher and they can be as high as one and a half percent, if not more, especially if you have something that's a little bit 
you know, trickier of a, a management scheme involved. So just look at those fund fees, know what you're investing in and know that there are some hidden fees just besides what your advisor is charging you as kind of a headline number. Yeah, that, those are kind of like the, the sucker items when you go into like Starbucks or Costco where they're trying to push a, you got your coffee, but they're like, oh, do you want a scone? Or you're trying to check out at Costco and it's like, hey, do you want some movie tickets? I'm like, no, I don't want to sign up for that. <laughs> That's right. And, and even worse is that if you go to a particular company, and this was actually how one of my past companies operated, is that they have proprietary products. So it's almost guaranteed that you're going to pay the advisor fee to just engage in a relationship. We're gonna charge the 1%, but we also have our own products in-house. So we're managing the funds themselves. So we'll put you in the funds that we're managing. So we're getting the advisor fee and we're getting the fund fee underneath for the products we're putting you in and it's all coming back to our pocket. So again, there's a conflict of interest there too, because you might not, that particular fund that we're managing might not be of your best interest, but we wanna put you in that just because we get paid more. When in fact, you'd be better off in a, a, a diversified array of other funds, not within our own house. So there's just a lot of different little tricks you need to be aware of if you're out there looking for an advisor or currently have an advisor. And then the, uh, the financial houses, they're usually structured like real estate agents and broker relationships, you know, where you've got the head guy and you've got people working under them. Because it's all like a based on how many clients you can get. Because if you're getting what, one, 2% from every guy, you're going to need hundred people to get it a nice living, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to, whoever's at the top of the pyramid there, they want to make sure that the underlying advisors are generating enough business to make sure that they're getting paid. And then the advisors want to generate enough business to make sure they're getting paid. So everybody wants a little bit of that cut. So once you get a build out that's so, you know, bureaucratic like that, then those funds can get high just to make sure you're paying everyone under the system. So what's like one thing that like someone like myself or someone who's done the real estate thing and a lot of people, they, they try and get their relatives into this, you know, into, you know, real assets, maybe just in a private money lending role, but like, it's, it's hard to fight against these guys with the nice graphs and portfolios and charts and nice suits, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. What are some of the tactics that they have at their advantage to find clients? Well, one thing I like to pose, I like to bring this conversation up with anyone and and most people too, uh, real estate investing is something that they're not quite familiar with. And even just investing for passive cash flow, I like to kind of present it that way as opposed to always just going straight to real estate, but it's something that's more taboo to them. They haven't, they're not really familiar with it. So you have to kind of ease people into this. So I like to structure my conversations by talking about, especially younger people, which is the majority of the demographic I'm working with, is that you don't, you're not going to have a pension anymore. Those are things of the past. With any kind of company you go work for, pensions are probably just going to be non-existent. And then our social security system, I mean, obviously, I think everyone's familiar with the debts that the U.S. is kind of taking on at present time. These entitlement programs are a large part of that. So at some point down the road, there's going to have to be entitlement reform, which is probably going to reduce what kind of benefits you can expect to receive from Social Security. So these types of security products or standards that were put into place to help individuals out with retirement are going to be kind of by the wayside. So you have to start developing your own pension plan, your own pension plan that you control. And one of the best ways to do that is through real estate. So this is a way that you can kind of protect yourself, develop some cash flows, that are going to create your own pension system that's going to help you go into retirement feeling a lot more secure and it could help you to go into retirement much, much earlier than 
the normal just kind of saving, 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 investing over the long term and hoping to retire at age 60 or 65 down the road. Uh, for most people, and I think younger people too, that seems like such a, such a distance away. If you can have the conversation with them, hey, it could be a reality that you could actually step away and be more financially independent you know, at 40. How, how does that sound? Their eyes start to open. And these types of products, um, especially investing in hard assets like real estate, are going to be the vehicle to get you there. So you have to kind of paint the picture first and tell them what's possible. And once you open that door, then you kind of dig into the details, show them how it's done. But I always have to kind of at least paint the broad picture about these are the things that are going to get you there. How does that sound? And then I think they're more receptive to it. But you always get that initial pushback. But again, it's all about just creating the vision of where they want to go. And if it's attractive to them, here's the vehicles that are going to get you there. Uh, another, um, <clears throat> just digging into the numbers, another topic I like to bring up too is that just looking at it from a savings point of view, in financial planning, there's a, there's a rule we have out there. It's called the 4% rule. And basically what this says is that you want your portfolio of assets grow to grow to a certain point that whatever your living needs are, say you need $40,000 a year to live on, and that's going to be your target for that allows you to go into retirement and, and feel comfortable. You would need a, a million dollar portfolio of assets to meet that 4% rule. So 4% of a, a million bucks would be the 40,000 for your living needs. Now, if you think about it from a real estate investor standpoint, it should be fairly easy for you to find properties that are going to generate for you a 10% cash on cash return. And you've probably done that for all your properties that you own, Lane. I'm not quite sure what your portfolio looks like, but I know all my properties. I mean, last year I generated a 13.6% cash on cash return. This year through September, I'm already at a 10%. So that'll increase, but it should be fairly easy for you to find properties that will generate 10% cash on cash. But just from a savings standpoint, as opposed to saving a million dollars to withdraw 4%, that should be able to last, that portfolio should be able to last for you over 30, 40 years throughout your retirement. Think about saving into investing in real estate that's going to generate 10% cash on cash return. You only have to save $400,000 to buy enough real estate that's going to generate that 10% cash on cash return to get you to that point of financial independence. So a million dollars versus $400,000, of course, you're going to get to that savings mark of $400,000 much sooner then you're going to get to that million dollar mark. All these things I think are conversation points that are, can be as detailed and we can dig into those numbers as you'd want. But I bring this up with everyone I talk to just because I think it's important to drive home the fact that passive income through products like real estate can get you to these points of financial independence much earlier uh, than just traditional investing can. Yeah, that's funny you bring that 10% up. Think about the same way, you know, right now I'm in the growth mode. But I know at some point, maybe a decade or two into the future, I'm just going to shut it down. And yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking was that, you know, what, what do I want? And what do I, you know, at that 10%, what do I need to uh, accumulate? Even though, you know, as, as, you know, hard asset investors, we always debunk that whole, you know, get a big chunk of money to hopefully live off of it like everybody else does. Um, but yeah. yeah, you know, ten percent is what I use, and you know, going back, you know, it's it's hard for us to. Uh, people think that this is a scam, right? We think that you know, what's simple passive cash flow? They think it's like selling some kind of telecom services and diesel knives <laughs> or passive income like that. And and I, I do the numbers, and you know, with a, a rental property, just a regular single family home, you you know, your gains are pretty high, like twenty to thirty percent when you factor it 
all in your your mortgage depreciation and um, your your cash flow and appreciation that it kind of it sounds a little absurd, right? Like thirty percent, like that's right. But that's all the money that you know all these financial institutions are taking away from you. You kind of sound like the boogeyman when you're like telling people that that's how much you could be making. Yeah, and and it's and it's true too. You actually, I think, why these returns are sustainable is is that there's just so many advantages to to buying real estate. One, you get to use leverage, so the bank's giving you money to basically go out and buy something, and then someone else is paying down that loan for you. So you have to calculate all this into the equation when you're looking at what the real returns are on real estate. Now, if you target cash on cash returns as being 10% plus, that's just your starting point. So you ta- then you start attacking on someone paying down that loan, that, like I just mentioned, you have some appreciation on the property, all the tax benefits included, and you're easily hitting 20%, if not 30% or more, real returns on an investment property which compare that to what you might get in the stock market, which historically the S&P 500, if you're dating back to maybe like 1930, has generated about a 10% annualized return with a lot of ups and downs along the way. But even that 10% versus, let's just say 20 to 30%, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer that you need to have something like that within your financial world just to help you get to the finish line quicker. Are you absolutely bored at social gatherings because everyone is super passionate about their J-O-B or too shameful to get naked and talk about their finances? Been drinking the simple passive cash flow latte? Got your own coffee parcel? And feeling a little lonely? Re-engage with friends by sending them to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start or text the word simple to 314-665-1767 to begin the free web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cash Flow so they can get back up to speed with financial independence and investing. Again, join the web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start or text the word simple to 314-665-1767. Remember, if you don't tell them now about it, who are you going to have a midday lunch with when everyone else is at the day job? proper planning techniques to access other money in you know, these retirement accounts. Like, Cause I know like a lot of people, that's the hurdle, right? That's, that's kind of the, uh, the system that got created to keep, keep that barrier to entry higher. Like, Oh, I don't want to make a self-directed IRA. You know, that seems like a lot of work, right? And that not a lot of people are doing it. What are some untapped money sources that people can get at? Well, that's a, that's an interesting one too, because this always comes up and this is one of the probably more predominant questions I get is that someone wants to invest in real estate, but yet all their money is tied up into uh, more traditional retirement style accounts, which have rules attached to them. So I think first, uh, in order to really just kind of give a proper evaluation of what you might need to do to access some of this money, you just have to kind of understand the rules first. So there's more the traditional accounts, which could be your 401ks and your IRAs. But then there's another version called the Roth, which is, uh, it's just a different animal itself. The Roth, you can be more creative just because it has more flexibility. But let's just stick with more traditional. And just to say you have an IRA, um, just know the rules involved. If you have an IRA that's worth $100,000 and you want to take that money to invest in real estate, and you say, you know what, I'm just going to cash this in know that there's going to be some penalties and taxes involved because with that traditional style of retirement account, such as the IRA, what happens is you get a tax deduction up front. But when you pull that money out down the road, it grows tax-free until you pull it out. When you pull it out, it gets taxed as ordinary income. 
So if you're in maybe you're doing okay, you're just working a W-2 job and you have maybe the, you're in the 25% federal income tax bracket. And let's say that you're in a state that has maybe a 5% state income tax. What they're going to do is you pull that money out earlier than age 59 and a half. You're also going to get hit with a 10% penalty by the federal government. So 25% federal tax, 5% state tax, another 10% federal penalty. All of a sudden, that $100,000 IRA that you had is quickly diminished to just $60,000. So that's a lot of money you're just kind of handing back to the government in the form of taxes and penalties. So there's probably some better ways to do that. Now, before we dig into some of those details, know that the Roth IRA is a bit different. And a lot of employers now are offering a Roth 401k as an option too. What's different about this is that when you put your money in up front, you don't get that tax deduction. But your money grows tax-free. And when you pull it out after age 59 and a half, all that money is tax-free. It doesn't get taxed as ordinary income. Now, another caveat with the Roth too is let's just say that you've been contributing over a 10-year time period um, and you have $50,000 that you've contributed to your account, but that account has grown to $100,000. So compared to the $100,000 traditional IRA, we have a $100,000 Roth IRA. You can always pull out that money that you've contributed tax-free and penalty-free. So in this situation, we say we contribute about $50,000. You could take that money out free and clear and your account balance would still be $50,000 and that's just the growth on the account, but you can access that money. So just know that the rules involved there if you have a Roth account, there's more flexibility. You can pull that money out and utilize that towards the purchase of real estate if that's the avenue you want to go. Now, if you do have a traditional IRA and say you're a younger professional such as us and you want to try to access that money without getting nailed with taxes and fees, there's some different ways and planning methods you can kind of look to go towards to creatively access this without handing too much back to the government. One is you can do a Roth conversion. <clears throat> which basically takes that IRA and you can convert a certain amount into the Roth. You can convert the whole thing if you want, but just know that when you do that conversion that you're going to still pay ordinary income taxes on the amount that you convert. So what I like to try to tell people to do is if, if there's a year, if you're a small business owner or you're in transition or maybe you get let go from your job, look at the silver lining. There's some planning opportunities if you're in a lower tax bracket in a particular year where you can take some of this money, convert it to Roth, it's not going to get hit with such high taxes because it might be a down year where you're not in a, such a high tax bracket. And then once you convert it to a Roth, you have to wait over a five-year period, but then you can access that money like we talked about with the contributions into the Roth that gets treated as a contribution. So you can pull that money out tax-free, penalty-free, just as if you were had, had a contribution into that Roth account. Um, there's another way that you can actually ask, access this money too without getting hit with the penalty if you're younger. And this is actually what I do with my rollover IRA that I do have is you can set it up to basically annuitize it. And what this has caused is substantially equal periodic payments. So you tell the IRS, look, I'm uh, age 35. I'm going to annuitize this so I can pull out money each month or each year. And they give you a calculation and you'd have to look up it's IRS code 72 T. So if you were just to Google 72 T calculator and plug in all your numbers there, it'll tell uh, you how much you can take out each year so you don't get hit with penalties. But the way I look at this is this is just another form of passive cash flow for me. So I'm pulling out roughly about $700 a month and I'm just throwing it into my real estate fund so I can buy more properties down the road. And you still have to pay ordinary income taxes on the amount you pull out, but you're not getting hit with that penalty again. So I just look at this as almost another income source, but 
So you have two different ways you can plan to get that money out. One using the Roth conversions from an IRA and also using this substantially equal periodic payments, which is basically annuitizing your IRA to pull money out. And both of those methods allow you to avoid paying that extra penalty that the government would charge if you just were to cash it out. So just a couple of things to think about. We can dig into a lot of detail on both of these methods, but we probably don't have enough time to go into the granulars, but that's something maybe for another day. Yeah, I like that 72T idea. I mean, again, like different different tools for different situations. I mean, for me, I'm not a fan of any of these things. These all under fall under the category of a QRP or qualified retirement plan where there's mm-hmm. special tax treatment. I opted to just cash out, pay the penalties, pay the taxes, and get my money out because what a lot of people don't realize is while your money's trapped in a lot of these these uh, these vehicles you're not able to effectively leverage the investment as well as you'd like. Yeah, you can get non-recourse loans on this stuff, but unfortunately you're, you're getting at like less than 70% LTV and you're paying like probably about a point or two higher on the cost of the loan, which yeah. totally kills the deal. So what I'm telling a lot of folks, especially the younger folks, hey, don't put any more new money into this stuff. And I think about just cashing this sucker out and, you know, because the custodians, I mean, the, the fees are low to keep these accounts, but it's still a headache to go through. And every time you want to pay like a mowing bill to have a form be sent in and, and, and it just kind of complicates things. But, it does. It does. But uh, and, a lot of guys I, have a big amount of tied up in this, this thing, you know, 100, 200, 300,000 in their 401k from, you know, I know Microsoft matches everything they put in there. Yeah. And, and you know, that match is hard to, what I try to tell people too is if they, and a lot of people ask, you know, should I stop contributing to my 401k? If you're getting a match that you're going to be vested in, and, and usually a lot of people match up to maybe like the first three to 5%, meaning they're going to, they're going to match dollar for dollar what you put into your 401k. It's hard not to at least chip in up to that point. Then everything on top, just stop contributing, but save into an account that you're going to dedicate towards an earmark towards a, a real estate purchases or what, what have you. But that match is going to be a hundred percent return, which is going to be something that's kind of hard to pass up and you can access this money later, worry about accessing that money, but get that 100% return on your money today. And then everything on top, just, you know, save towards something that you can invest in. But I agree with you. If, if this is a conversation that people just have to be real with themselves, if you really want to invest in real estate, sometimes it does make sense just to go ahead and cash out and put that money into something that's going to generate longer higher returns for you over the course of time. But just something to think about if you are considering cashing out, wait till a good opportunity from a tax standpoint. If you're going to step away from your job or if you know that there's going to be a period of time where you're going to be in a lower tax bracket for whatever reason, maybe use that as an opportunity. There's a silver lining there to either convert some of this money or cash out when you're in a lower tax bracket so you don't get hit too hard in the form of ordinary income taxes. Right. A lot of things to think about there. I mean, I I know I don't do it because last time I checked, my spreadsheets tell me I'm going to stop working well before 50, 60 years old. So I'm going to want that money as soon as I can. (laughs) And everyone's different. Everyone's different. Honestly, you got to kind of, whatever the goals are, you have to, and whatever's going to get you to the finish line the quickest, then you have to kind of look at all the pieces of the puzzle and make sure that's getting you to the finish line as quickly as possible. So, you have to you have to weigh all these options, and you can't just uh, dismiss anything. 
so it's, it's definitely worth considering and having the conversation to cash out if, if that's what your ultimate goal is going to be is to get to early retirement as soon as possible. You know, we're all freaked out about taxes and that's the whole Roth versus regular IRA conversation is, you know, when do you think there's going to be more taxes? And I'm willing to bet that there's going to be more taxes in the future. <laughs> I mean, just look at the debt and, and all these entitlements that we paid for now. It's going to be in the future. Somehow we pay for it. So it might be better to just pay the taxes on it now is what I'm saying. But we never know, right? Like, never know how that's going to go. But no, I, that's I, speculation. But sometimes biting the bullet and just getting out of the way is uh, a good course of action. People have this uh, this mindset against taxes. I'm like, well, I want to pay as much taxes as possible because that means you made the most money. I, I thought that was funny. You mentioned if you're in the 25% category, you're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to be higher for sure. Yeah. Some things just aren't consumable in a podcast audio format like reports, investing trends, and my own personal investing happenings. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash club to sign up for the Hui Deal Pipeline Club to get the monthly email, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Public service announcement, guys. For all the non-folks news and commentary not found on this podcast, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash club and sign up for the Hui Du Pipeline Club to get the newsletter with the latest happenings as I make the journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Would you like to get access to the same reports and industry knowledge that I read? Would you like to know what I'm doing personally? Go sign up for the free newsletter at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash club by signing up for the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. What is something to look for in a financial advisor? Well, th- this is a, a touchy subject and I don't want to try to take off. I'm still very much in the world of financial planning and I'm, I have a lot of friends, but I try not to take off people. When I, well, they're not I listening to podcasts, so. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, something that you need to do, I think, is look towards someone who's going to be fee only. And by that, what I mean is not fee based on what I talked about previously was they're going to charge a percentage fee on the portfolio they manage for you, but they're basically charging just an hourly fee or a fee per service. So if you're looking to try to find someone to work with, and I think there's value here, I think, because I'm obviously in, in some real estate circles here in Pittsburgh as well. And a lot of times people will say, well, I don't need an advisor. You know, I invest my money this way. I was like, but there's more to someone's financial world than just how you invest your money. So, you know, bringing into account what your insurance needs are, a proper estate planning. If the children and, and your family have educational needs, there's just a lot of different things you have to take into consideration other than how your money is being invested. So I think there's a lot of value in just seeking guidance if someone's doing it the right way. So look for someone who's going to be fee only. Like I mentioned, either they charge just by the hour when they're actually working for you or they charge a fee per service. Say, I'll do a full evaluation of your picture for this fee. And that way you know that you're paying them for their service and you're not paying them for anything extra. And there's no hidden like kind of fees embedded within that. But also too, you have to find someone who's going to line up with your interests, someone you can get along with that shares your values. So if you're looking for an advisor, never be afraid to go out and interview as many as people as possible until you find someone that's a good match for you. So this is a, this is a personal relationship. It really is. So you want to make sure you're on the same page with that advisor that you're going to be working with. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, take your time when you're going through this process. 
there's a, an organization I'm actually a part of. It's uh, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. It's called NAPFA, for short, N-A-P-F-A. Um, they have a find an advisor tool, but all these advisors under this organization, they charge just fee only. And so you can find people on, under this more so than you're going to find just for probably Google searching that are going to charge just the fee per hour by the hour fee per service. And you can actually dig in and find people on this platform. If you want to look for uh, specializations, you can check the real estate investing box and you'll find someone hopefully that's local to your area that one charges just fee per service and two uh, has a specialization in real estate. They're going to be harder to find, but maybe you'll find someone local that has both of those uh, specializations, which would, I think, bode well for a good relationship. But if they check that box off for a real estate designation, does that mean that they're actually investing in real estate or these are uh, fake REITs? <laughs> it's not real that's, investing. That's, that's, could be, uh, that's something you'd have to dig into. Uh, and usually there's a bio there too. And, and the people, if they're actually really involved in real estate, They'll mention that there and they'll probably say I own, you know, properties myself, uh, either commercially or just residential properties. Uh, so you'll uh, dig into the details, but at least that's a good starting point. But yeah, definitely, definitely dig in because they can say, you know, yeah, I work with REITs. That's a whole different ballgame. That's not actually physical real estate for you. So, so what is your, you know, as a guy who's doing the, the real estate too, you know, building out their rental portfolio, What's your thoughts on, you know, how do we blend this all? Because I know a lot of the listeners, there's, there's guys like myself who have totally, you know, cut all ties and burned the bolts of all their, their whole stock investment, mutual funds and everything, and gone full into this stuff. But there's guys who are still clinging on because they have a spouse that still like, you know, they, they just don't have full reign over what they want to do. What do you think is someone who kind of controls their own destiny and knows both sides? What are you doing these days? Well, I think what you always have to start with is what is your goal? Like, what are you trying to target? Are you trying to target early financial independence? If so, how much money do you need and what's going to get you there? So if you, if you start off with what is your objective, and this has to be a real conversation, break it down in real terms, what exactly does that mean? Does this mean a specific year? Does this mean a specific amount of money that you're going to need to have? And what are you going to do past this? But once you get some real targets into place, say, I want to retire by 40, okay, if that's going to be the case, then how much money will you need? And once you start with that, and you, you can, you can, if you can back into that monetary amount that you're going to need each year to sustain your standard of living, then you can start backing into, okay, what does that require from a savings standpoint? If I have a blend of assets, how much do I need in investments that's going to provide for this? In addition to how much do I need in passive cash flow from other sources, real estate or what have you, to meet that living target? So you have to have the objectives first and foremost, and then I think you can start backing into those other details. And that's exactly what I'm doing is I'm setting a target, a spending target myself of what I need each year, my wife and I. And once we get to that target, then we're fully set. So that equates in my book to a certain amount of investments and a certain amount of real estate properties. And then I think we'll be there. So we're, we're targeting uh, by the time I'm 40 to be at that goal. Uh, but I think everyone out there needs to make sure they set real goals, targets, and that'll allow you to kind of back into those details to get there as quickly as possible. Yeah, because I mean, I guess in terms of maybe not numbers, but like just asset balance, like, because like, personally, like, I felt like, you know, especially after talking to a few investors who've called me, you know, who are pretty um, experienced in this stuff, you know, something I'm seeing in my own portfolio is I'm getting a little more too heavy into real estate, right? Like, you know, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket that 
So now I'm kind of focusing my efforts in finding syndications and deals outside of the real estate world, whether it's, uh, you know, like life settlements or marijuana investing or developments and uh, different businesses, you know, just to get outside of real estate. Which, so what's, like, what's your thoughts in like paper asset to hard asset? Yeah, and I hate to give this answer because it's, it's so generic, but I think it varies for every single person too. what people are more comfortable with. <clears throat> for some people, I, I try to have the conversation about investing in real estate and maybe they want to dip their toe in the water, but they don't want to go uh, too far. And, you know, they don't want, they don't want to go into the deep end. So for them, they feel more comfortable. They sleep better at night, holding majority of their portfolio in just traditional investments. And that's fine. You know, but if, 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 if you're more into hard assets, I see no issue with going all in. If you're in control, you have evaluated the property, you have this down to a science, you're a better investor when it comes to real estate than you're going to be by investing in traditional stocks and bonds. So that's your specialization. There's no issue with going 100% all in in that category uh, just because that's more your forte, your MO. Um, so every person is going to be a little bit different. Uh, me personally, um, I've considered cashing in my IRA completely, but there's a part of me that, that just loves investing and in, in researching companies and researching funds. So I still really enjoy the traditional uh, investing structure. And that's kind of why I keep that as more of a hobby for me. And I've also set it up now too, where it's paying me back a little bit. So I look at it as part of my passive cash flow, but I keep that on hand just because I enjoy it. And there's going to be other people out there too, where that might be the case, but for me, if I'm really looking at getting to the end game as quickly as possible, I would go all in on real estate just because it's going to get you there more quickly than, than the traditional investing would. But I'm keeping it more as a hobby, and everyone's going to be a little bit different just based on their comfort levels. But if you can master this and you have the educational portion of real estate down and you know how to evaluate a property – yeah, go all in. I mean, it's going to get you there more quickly than anything else. That's why I say, you know, sign up for a call with me. I mean, I'm not a financial planner by all means, but I can tell you what I would do in your situation. I just need to kind of know how much you make after all your expenses at the end of the year and what kind of liquidity you have to play with. Um, so I can kind of see what trajectory you're, you're probably going to go on. But for, you know, if people want a blended strategy, I mean, that's when I kind of like, well, you know, I can't really help you. You know, it gets a little confusing. So uh, that's where you know, Brent comes in and, you know, his expertise and he lives this every day. You're all the way out in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Pittsburgh, but I, I can work and I can talk with anyone across the country. So if, if everyone's interested in, and, and I will go ahead and say, you know, there's more to financial planning than just investing. I kind of brought that up earlier. I, and I, I have yet to come across a situation or a meeting where I'm evaluating someone's full financial picture. And I've, I've had a conversation where they didn't have a vulnerability. And most times, especially with the younger people too, it, it revolves around uh, not making sure that they're protecting their family properly if something were to happen to them. So there's a lot of value in just looking at the whole as opposed to just the investing portion. You, know, you, need, to make, you need to make sure you're covering your bases in all areas of your financial picture. So that's something I do is I look at the whole snapshot of everything you have going on and I look for those vulnerabilities and I point those out. And for young families, especially, that's kind of important to do just because you want to make sure you take care of your loved ones, if something were to happen to you. So just a, just a little caveat there. Yeah, you want to give your uh, contact information for people to get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um, probably the best way, and I kind of lay everything out, what my service looks like online. So you can go to my website, and my company is Intellivest, and it's N-T-E-L-L-I-V-E-S-T. 
So it's intelinvest.com and I have my services listed there. And it's really just a, I try to make it as clear cut and, and uncomplicated as possible. I offer a, a meeting where we just, we do a thorough review of a personal person's finances and discuss any issues they may be having. And this is just for a flat fee of around $400. So it's a one-time meeting. We can meet by phone, video chat, or if you're local to Pittsburgh, we can meet in person for sure. But it's just, uh, I try to make it as unbiased and clear and, and precise as possible. Just a few graphs, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, actually, I, I don't think I've had a meeting where I've thrown a graph in in some time. So I've kind of disposed of those, which I'm proud of. Oh, that's very uh, <laughs> good form. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, if you guys can sign up for a chat with me, I usually can train you out. But, um, you know, that's really why I have that coaching thing in there. It's not really the, I don't really want to be coaching, but some people, they, they start like laying out their whole financial picture down on me and you know they're telling me they want to have kids in 3.7 <laughs> years and I'm like man like man I'm just I'm just here to help people I'm not here you know to give you exact information you know I'm not your financial advisor so there's people out there that do this stuff and just make sure you find the good ones and yeah again don't just find the ones that check the real estate box find the ones that actually own it and understand it that's right and, and Lane I appreciate what you're doing too the more that you can open up people's eyes and you're doing a great job on this podcast to real estate investing and the power it can have in your world the better and so we need to keep pushing this message out there right right I think we're both aligned that we need to get money out of like the big Wall Street casino and into more Main Street investments you have more control it's beautiful you have more control as long as you're doing your homework and you're buying the right properties you have way more control Right, right. I know a lot of people feel out there feel a little guilty, like they're doing something taboo or something like that, investing in these real uh, assets. But uh, you know, it was it was only a while ago that they started calling that stuff alternative, and the, really the alternative <laughs> investments is buying the paper stocks. Yeah, yeah, and that, there's a lot of stuff that gets lumped in in the financial world into that alternatives category, and that. And like we said, that's just lack of education majority of the time on the advisor's standpoint. So they'll throw real estate in there as an alternative just because they don't quite understand it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having um, coming on the podcast here. If people want to ask Brent a little more questions, maybe shoot me some emails and then we'll, we'll have you on again. Yeah. And if you, you can shoot me an email too, uh, Brent at Intellivest.com. I'm happy to answer any emails if you have questions on the service or whatnot too. But I appreciate you having me online. This has been great. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.